You're listening to the Whistleway Podcast. On this week's episode, Kyle and Brian cover real estate investors, going over the several types of investors that there are, as well as discussing some of the merits and shortcomings working with these types of investors could have. Then Kyle shares a service that Whistle Realty Group recently used at their last friends and family event to help everything run smoothly, while Brian shares a way that can help you make it easy for past clients to write you a review. Now roll that intro. Welcome to the Whistle Way Podcast. My name is Kyle Whistle, your host with EXP Realty here in San Diego. And I am Brian Kochi, Media and Marketing Director at Whistle Realty Group here in San Diego. What's the difference between a director and a manager, Brian? Yeah, so the director is more in charge of um, direction. Well, that's funny. Um, but more in charge of kind of coming up with the strategy where the manager more kind of just tell me the strategy and I'll do it. Gotcha. All right, director. Yeah. So, it comes with a great pay bump. He just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> so the goal of the show, guys, is to give you the tools and techniques that you need to go out there and crush it in your business. The way that we like to do this is to answer questions that you have, as opposed to guessing what you want to hear about. We're just listening to what you ask us about. Um, the way to ask us questions is via our Facebook page, The Whistle Way. And the way to get there is go to thewhistleway.com, and that will connect you to our Facebook group. You can also subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel, where we put out a ton of killer videos that Brian, our director, helps make happen. And you can join our referral list. You join our referral list. We get a lot. We're in California, which is like number 48 on the U-Haul list of where people are going to. Uh, majority of people are leaving California, so we got a lot of referrals to give out. So we would love to have you as a part of our referral network so we could send those to you. And then lastly, you can also find out about upcoming events like our Media Mayor Mastermind that we do, where we just go super deep for two days on video and teach you everything we've learned over the last five years of creating videos together and shortcut that learning curve for you so you can get to where we are in a matter of days as opposed to a matter of years. So we'd love to have you out to that. So again, go to thewhistleway.com. Brian, yes. what are we talking about today? So today we're gonna talk a little bit about um, something that I think agents deal with on a daily ba- basis, whether they're representing this group of people, whether they're working with this group of people on offers that come into their listings. Um, and this group of people they are investors. And so there's a wide variety of investors. There's some tactics that investors do that maybe the uh, only the most savvy agents know about. So I kind of want to talk about what are the different types of investors and how can we, not we, but how can agents that are listening to this kind of know some of the pitfalls that may come up ahead of time to avoid situations that may be bad for their seller yeah does that make sense i got you cool all right so first up uh these are typically the rookies or the um, newer people in the industry who are just kind of getting started that really want to get into the flipping game and they're what's known as a bird dog bird dog and what a bird dog typically does is they go out and they find deals they bird dog deals so what is that do you know what bird dog means um, yeah, like there's, it's a bird dog. So when you go out hunting, you have a bird dog, you shoot a bird and then the bird dog goes and finds the bird and brings it back to you. Okay, cool. Thank yeah. you. Didn't know that. Yeah. So that's what these guys do is they go out and they find these houses and they bring them back to you. 
Um, bird dogs typically do not have money. All they have is time. And so they utilize their time to go and find deals and then they bring them to people who have money. Um, and in exchange, they make a fee. So that fee could be anywhere from a few hundred dollars to a few thousand dollars. But they're simply just making introductions. So some of the ways that they bird dog deals could be what's known as driving for dollars or D for D. Uh, again, Thomas excited over here. Thomas getting excited oh, here. A couple D's in there. He's thinking some Dungeons and Dragons. Let's go. Let me get my cloak and my sword. Let's go. All right. Not Dungeons and Dragons. D4D. Thomas driving for dollars. If you guys don't know who Thomas is, he is our producer of the show. There he is. You see his beautiful hand oh, there. No, um, you didn't. It wasn't. <laughs> um, so driving for dollars what that is is these guys are just kind of cruising around town you see a vacant house you track down the owner of the house find out that they're interested in uh, selling their property and then they connect that property owner with somebody's got money so those are bird dogs um, as a realtor you typically want to stay away from these guys because they don't have any actual money um, you want to get to the person who actually has the money. And again, you said they're typically newer in the game. A lot of times, that's how people get started in the flipping game sometimes, is, is somebody just doesn't have any money, but they want to get into flipping. Well, it's hard to buy properties with no money. Um, so they just use their time to go and find properties, and then they use that to create money, and then eventually they become full-fledged investors. So those are bird dogs. Um, the way to make sure you're not working with a bird dog if you're an agent is simply to ask for proof of funds. Any legitimate full-fledged flipper or investor will easily be able to provide you with proof of funds. So if somebody reaches out to you and says, hey, I'm interested in, in flipping properties, you know, can you start sending me your stuff? I would love to. You know, One of the things that is important when we find a deal is we need to be able to send a proof of funds over to the seller. Can you shoot me over your proof of funds real quick? And then if they're like, uh, uh, well, uh, uh. That's usually a good sign that they don't actually have any money. Um, so any legitimate flipper has proof of funds on hand. They probably have it on their phone. They could shoot you a link within a minute or two or shoot you a screenshot. Um, and they know how to send proof of funds. They're not like taking their phone and shooting a picture of their computer screen. <laughs> it doesn't have their name or account number. Like any legitimate investor knows a proof of funds has to show the name and it has to show the balance and it has to be dated usually within 30, maybe 90 days tops, but usually within 30 days. Like any legitimate flipper knows that's what a real proof of funds is. That's not how I do it. Yeah. I write on a napkin. I have lots of money. Yeah. Take a picture of that. Done. So Oof. that's a bird dog. Next up, wholesaler. Um, so that's kind of the next evolution. And some people stay a wholesaler their entire life. Um, and what these guys will do is they'll go find a property and they'll actually tie the property up. They'll put it into under contract. I want to say in escrow, but escrow is not something that's used across the country. So we'll just say they put a property under contract. And then when they do put it under contract, they'll usually put it under contract and say um, Kyle Whistle or assignee. Well, what that or assignee does is it allows them to assign that contract over to somebody else in exchange for an assignment fee. So what they will do is they will tie a property up at, let's say, $400,000. Then they will pitch it to a bunch of other investors and say, hey, I've got this deal tied up. Um, it's, I have it under contract at four hundred. dollars Pay me a $10,000 assignment fee, and I'll assign the contract over to you. So now, quick question. If you are an agent and you are listing a property and an offer comes in that says that. Don't take it. Okay. Yeah, because if somebody writes or assignee on a contract, they're basically telling you they don't have any intention of actually closing on it themselves. They have the intention of tying it up and then finding somebody else to buy it in and, their place in exchange for a fee. And if they can't, then and it falls out. if they can't, out. they back out and they don't care. So you want to avoid 
ever taking a contract that has or assignee on it because that is them straight up telling you they're trying to assign the contract. Um, mm. And if they could find somebody that is willing to pay $10,000 to them plus 400 for the property, well, that person might have actually paid $410,000 to property to your seller, which would have been better than 400. Um, yes. So as a agent, you want to avoid when somebody writes or assignee on there. Um, there's other ways to wholesale properties where you can get a little bit more creative. I've done a wholesale deal before where I had a property tied up under my name, no or assignee, and I found somebody who was willing to buy the property for $50,000 more than what I had it under contract for. Well, what we did is we added that person onto the contract. So now it was Kyle Whistle and we'll just say Bob Smith. And when it came time to close, Bob Smith wired all the closing funds over. Then after it closed, Bob Smith paid me my wholesale fee. In exchange, I signed my name off of title and he now got the property. So there's that's okay. another way. And there's a lot of other creative ways. Some people will uh, tie a property up in an LLC and they will close or what they'll do is they'll tie it up in an LLC and then they'll transfer ownership of the LLC over to somebody else. And mm. then now that investor now owns that LLC, they close on it. <laughs> so there's people who actually have multiple LLCs established just for this purpose, they'll tie it up. And then instead of you go doing an or assignee, they'll just sell that LLC itself over and then the new owner of the LLC will close on it. So Interesting. there's a lot of creative, and that's those are just a few of the many, many ways of to course. wholesale. I love wholesalers as an investor. Um, because they just go find deals and I don't care how much money they're making. It doesn't matter to me if they're making 10 grand, as long as my numbers work, they can make money. I mean, they went out, they did the lay work, they found the deal, they tied it up, they brought it to me. They can make a little, I can make a little, we're all happy. Yep. Cool. Next up, you have people that are doing joint ventures. Um, a couple of the ways that I see this. Also known as JV. JV. Yeah. A couple ways. I've done some of these myself. Um, a lot of times what I will do is I'll go tie up a property and then depending on how many properties I have tied up at any given time, maybe I don't have enough cash to close on all these properties. So then what I could do is go bring in an equity partner and that equity partner will actually bring in the cash. They will do zero time investment and purely a cash investment. They will ultimately bring the funds, um, the cash in to close the deal. I will utilize my time. So the time I use to tie the property up, I'll then manage the project um, hire the contractors, make sure the work gets done, sell the property, and then at the end, split the profit with the equity partner. Now, uh, does does that usually, and it doesn't really matter, but I'm curious, but is that, does the equity partner usually bring in 100% or is it sometimes 50-50? It depends. In my okay. scenario, it's usually 100. Okay. So, um, but the thing is, it's somebody who literally doesn't have to lift a finger. They put or $500,000 into something and three or four months later, they make $30,000 back out of it. Well, $400,000, they're not making, let's say that takes four months to get that a $30,000 profit annualized. That's a $90,000 return with their $400,000 of investment. That's an amazing return. They're not getting that if their money's sitting in the bank. So it's better than keeping their money in the bank um, because they made 30 grand in you know four months on a $400,000 investment, that's a good return. Cool. And then you do that, turn that money three or four times and that works out really well for the investor. And it's a win-win because they've got money and you know we have time and connections and so we could do that. I've also seen people do JVs with contractors. And so the uh, one person might have the money and they'll, they'll lock the deal up and they'll close on it. Then the contractor will do all the work um, and they'll do it you know at cost or they'll just 
they'll cover the cost of the work and then they'll work out some sort of profit share on that too. So now, there's a couple of different ways, a lot of different ways. Those are just a few. So as an agent, and again, you're not buying typically homes that are as a JV or a, any investment, they're not buying homes that are that are move-in ready. They, they need work. They need love and everything. Traditionally, yeah. Now, Is, there are, you know, like iBuyers and some of the other investors out there right now, they're willing to buy a property that's, that is livable. Yep. Maybe it just needs some updating and they are willing to churn and burn properties where they hold for two weeks and have them back on the market and they just need some paint and some carpet and some minor things and they're willing to make 10 grand net profit where most investors on a full-fledged flip want to make, you know, 25 grand, 50 grand, something like that. Is there anything an agent should be worried about when selling to a joint venture? You typically wouldn't know. Okay. It's, it's not like it's disclosed I'm partnering with somebody, whatever, right? Like okay. when I buy, it's all going under my entity. I never change the entity or anything. There's just an agreement that's made with the partner. There's a legal document that's put together on that partnership, on a silent partnership. Cool. Um, so that would be a JV. Again, you could JV between a, a, a sweat partner and an equity partner. You could JV between somebody who's got the cash and somebody who's got the contracting skills. Like, there's a lot of different ways to JV, but it's ultimately two or more people engaging in a joint venture with the common goal of making money. And then they have some sort of split and distribution of how they handle the money that's made. And so as an agent, this sounds like a good alternate uh, form of revenue, yeah? Yeah, I mean, this here's is one of the things I learned is that when I was younger coming up in the game, like I would make these investors so much damn money. I would tie something up and then they would renovate it. And then they'd be like, all right, Kyle, can you put it back on the market for me? And I would, and then close it for like, a, you know, 150, 200 grand more than what they paid for. And I was like, and I was just happy. I made my commission, but I was like, eventually I got to the point. I was like, shit, screw that. I want to make the money. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe I didn't have the money, but I was able to tie these deals up. And the thing you learn over the years is that, if you have the deals, the money's easy to find. There's money everywhere, especially right now. You get hard money. Yeah, I mean, you could get hard money loans. Or there's just people that have lots and lots of cash sitting, and they're making like three to five percent a year return on that money. If you could put that money to work, and they could make ten or twenty percent return on their money, that's a fantastic investment. And it's easy to find that money if you have the deals. I feel like that's a whole other episode of how to find the money. Yeah. But okay, we're running low on time. I think yep. we got one and then more. The, the last one. There's two variations of it, which is just the full fledged investor. You've got the mom and pop investor um, or the person that just went to the how to flip a house seminar. And these guys usually don't have a fucking clue what they're doing. They you're usually identifiable because they'll call you and tell you they want a deal at 65% um, ARV. Like any real investors doesn't actually have like a hard number like that. That's just a number that gets taught in uh, how to flip house Courses. So okay. usually the dead ARV giveaway is after, after renovation. repair value. Okay. So the dead giveaway when somebody's coming out of a course is when they tell you it's usually 65 or 70% of ARV. Like they, they just come in there right away. Yeah, if you're, if you're ever getting any deals, I'm just looking as long as it's 65% of ARV. Like that's a dead giveaway. Um, these guys usually don't know what the fuck they're doing. They don't have contractors. They, they don't have a clue. They don't have numbers like... Um, spreadsheets nothing and... yeah so like most good investors like i have a spreadsheet that i use if somebody says you know like uh even our agents right they have access to this so sometimes our agents will find a deal i'm like here just plug the numbers in the spreadsheet tell me what the net is like because it's my spreadsheet it's built the way that i run my numbers any full-fledged investor has that right they don't just guess at their numbers they put it in a spreadsheet and it tells them how much money they're going to make and they have a certain threshold of what they're willing to make where mom and pop investors typically don't have that 
Okay. They, I don't know. They just a lot of times seem to go off gut instinct. They're, so as an agent selling a listing, do we like mom and pop investors? I mean, the thing is more so if you're representing, if you work with buyers and somebody reaches out to you and tells you like, I want to find deals at 65% of ARV like that or 65% of market value, like that doesn't really exist. Um, those are unicorn deals. Now, can you find one like a year? You might. You might find a needle in a haystack from time to time, but it's it's rare to find these guys what they're looking for. Um, but there there are some mom and pop investors that know what they're doing, but that's where most people start, right? Like we all have to start somewhere. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's it's usually pretty easily identifiable though because they, they specifically say a percentage of ARV. They don't have a spreadsheet. They don't have contractors. They have to, they ask you if you recommend any contractors. Like clearly it's your first time doing this. Um, and then you have the full-fledged investor or the institutional investors, which they know their shit. You could send them a property within an hour. They can tell you, you know, what their number is that they could pay. Um, they usually either have a minimum a dollar amount they need to net off a project or minimum return on investment via a percentage that they need to make. And they can tell you that very clearly. They can give you a spreadsheet and just say, hey, if you find a deal, plug the numbers in here and send me the spreadsheet. That's how I want you to present deals to me. Like they know their shit and it's very clear what's expected of you. And if you bring them the deals, they're going to do business with you. And they've got their uh, they've proof, got of, proof funds. of funds. They're all cool. cash or they're using hard money, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with somebody using hard money. Um, I use hard money virtually every single time. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with using hard money. Um, but if you can get those full-fledged investors that have, you know, a million, two million, five million dollar line of equity, and they're just essentially buying these things cash, they can a lot of times pay more for properties because they don't have those hard money costs involved. So now I want to, I know we're going a little long, but that's fine. I want to kind of, I kind of want to switch it. Let's assume I'm not, I'm well, I'm not licensed, but let's assume I am licensed. I have a listing that I know is an investor is going to buy, yeah. right? It needs some work. Um, and an investor comes in and they pay. What are some things that I should look for that I'm not super knowledgeable on that an investor goes, oh, I can get this guy? I mean, the biggest thing is don't ever take a contract that has or assignee on it. That's, okay. that's number one. Number two, make sure they truly have a... Um, Proof of funds. Make sure it's a legit proof of funds dated within 30 days, has the name of the entity on it, all of that stuff. Um, number three is make sure they've actually seen the property. Like okay. when you get the offer that comes in, check your lockbox log and make sure that person's actually seen it. That is not a blind offer because you don't want to put a property in escrow for your seller and the person's never seen it. And then they go see it and they're like, oh, this is way worse than I thought it was. And then they want to lower their offer. So, those and how are often does that happen? A lot. And is that, onto the attendee and they could pay the processing fee on that. Cool. So my uh, widget kind of goes in line with that, going in line with our friends and family movie night, also known as client appreciation night. And one of the things that we're really working on is building up our Google Google My Business uh, profile. One of the ways we're doing that is by working on getting reviews. If you're in the Whistleway group, you've seen us post about it. Um, so one of the ways we want to do move forward with that is everyone that comes and checks in to our event, we're going to give them these little cards. And so on the cards, there's little QR codes. Um, we have two offices. We have two Google My Business um, accounts. So we have two different, we have one in Santee, which is in San Diego, and one in North Park, still in San Diego. So we have two uh, QR codes and it says, write a review, get a raffle ticket. So they literally scan it. It brings them to the actual review site where they can say five stars, this place is great, I love Whistle. 
Um, and we have the option to have them do up to two reviews so they can get two raffle tickets. And we're going to raffle off baskets that are about 100 bucks a piece. So that's one of the ways we're working on getting legitimate reviews from our friends, families, and clients um, to, to really bolster our, um, our online presence, especially on Google. Beautiful. Well, hopefully you guys got a ton of value out of the show today. We're going to wrap this bad boy up. Again, if you want to ask questions and have them answered here on the show, or you want to subscribe to the podcast, our YouTube channel, get on our referral list, find out about upcoming events, all of that amazing, fun stuff that we've got going on here, go to thewhistleway.com, thewhistleway.com, W-H-I-S-S-E-L. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. See ya.